This is City State Radio. This is the show where we talk about cities, all things about cities, urbanism. That's a, that's a word that people find interesting these days. Talking about around the nation, good towns around the world, and a lot about uh, our hometown of Louisville, especially lately, as there's uh, all kinds of, of news, things happening, uh, especially as we crawl out of our, our basements, our home offices, um, and other places where um, folks have been hiding out, or lucky enough to hide out during uh, the last year plus of COVID. We are still broadcasting from um, our respective home studios here on City State Radio. My name's Pat Smith, coming at you from vacation this week, uh, from, from the sunny, sandy beaches of, of Kiowa Island, South Carolina. This, we were in the, the, in the news here a little bit. We, we came after, I guess, the, some, a big a golf championship. I'm not even sure. I don't want to say the wrong, the wrong thing. PGA, I know they're involved. Uh, I, I don't know if it's, it's, I don't think it's the Masters. I think it's just some kind of PGA championship. I don't know. Golf hooligans were here uh, before we arrived. I didn't know that there were golf hooligans, but apparently golf, young golf fans, or maybe golf fans of all ages, they can get rowdy. I think they jostled some of the pro players after the, the Phil Mickelson, I think, won the championship. It was like a golf riot here in the sunny, sandy, possibly, you know, it looks like a largely Trump-supporting area of <laughs> Kiowa Island. Uh, this whole part of the, the world, I think. Uh, I've seen a lot of Trump hats down here. Trump 2024 is a big one. Uh, not even like on like the people, you know, like y- you might think. A lot of like young, uh, hip-looking dudes have, have Trump gear, which I that just that find that disconcerting. But I guess that's, uh, you know, another part of the world, another part of the nation. Anyway, how are you guys are doing? You guys are coming from your home studios. Who are you? Where are you? What's going on? Patrick Henry from Spring Valley. Spring Valley Living Louisville. Living the dream. Oh. Spring Valley Louisville. Nice. Nice. Family coming from the Highlands. Oh, oh. The Highlands. Nice. He went bigger than the Belknap neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling like more of a big picture today. I was watching actually a little bit of that golf game, uh, golf match, whatever you call it. Uh, <laughs> father-in-law was in town and was watching that. And uh, it was pretty crazy because the crowd kind of engulfed the players. Yeah. On the last hole, while they're all trying to, like, get their shots in and then get to their next shot, all of the crowd just kind of, like, engulfed the players. And all of a sudden, the player would, like, shoot out, like, squirt out of the, like – crowd of people from the aerial shots and stuff like that you're like wondering what the chaos is i've never seen you know happy gilmore the movie was like the closest <laughs> I've seen to anything like that as far as like crowds getting crazy and stuff in in these strange times i mean maybe that's the direction that pro golf is moving in you know maybe <laughs> sort more like a like a pro hockey kind of rowdy kind of a thing i don't know maybe that maybe that's a positive thing for you know for them bringing young people in. I don't know. I, I, I was watching it. Um, I, I did before we drove down to the beach here. I was watching that golf match <laughs> with uh, with my father-in-law, and he was like, "Oh man, the beers are hitting!" And when, when all of the uh, <laughs> and all of the young people were kind of going crazy. Um, I don't know. When, I, I remember back in the day, you, you'd watch golf, and it was just like very. So he's up. He's on the seventeenth, and he's coming in. Uh, he's gonna putt or yeah. whatever. It was always but, good to take a nap too. Exactly, man. I mean, <laughs> that was the best thing. But this was like, um, this was just fully raucous and crazy. I'm glad. I'm glad the golf hooligans are, are not here because I'm, I'm here with the baby. We're on the beach, uh, doing beach stuff. No idea if, if the golf resort is okay, um, or if you know people made it out safely. Um, anyway, that's not what this show is about. This show is not about golf. This show is about <laughs> cities. You know, we talked a lot about downtown last week, and I think we just wanted to kind of touch, follow up on a few things. I know, like, one thing that came up, um, we, we talked a lot just about this idea that 
downtown needs new ideas. Like we need to kind of focus on Louisville being a better Louisville, uh, like kind of Patrick Pima to uh, steal, you know, your words. Like we need to make downtown like maybe the best neighborhood, you know, for, for people, for livelihood and vitality and vibrancy. Like, so, but we mentioned that like, it seems like a leader institutionally, organizationally downtown is the Fraser Museum. They've been trying to kind of get some information together, generate some talks. And, and that, that talk that we discussed last week as upcoming, it, it's happened in the past week. And they had kind of this like uh, associated poll with it. And I'm not sure like how they got it out, if like it was an email to their patrons or just a kind of an open kind of a internet convenience sample type poll. But, you know, they're founding that. I guess like seven, six, seven hundred people responded. And I mean, what seems like obvious to me, like more than 75% said that they're either very comfortable or moderately comfortable returning to downtown. Only like a handful of people said that they won't ever come downtown. But anyway, like, you know, they're, they're trying to also have these chats and they had some of the kind of, you know, business people, uh, the chief of police kind of on this panel. When was this? I think maybe Monday. Um, or last Friday, I'm not sure. Anyway, but what they talked about, like, was what we were sort of, or at least what I was decrying, which is just like, just the same old kind of ideas, you know? And I, I didn't get to see the whole thing, but I'm kind of looking over uh, the recap of this um, on WDRB that uh, Scott Reynolds kind of wrote up briefly. Um, I think there might be a link. Yeah, there's a link to some of the, the quotes. But, you, you know, the ideas that came out of this panel, I mean, it's, it's not the, the new big ideas that I think we were hoping for. You know, it's like the people are like stoked that convention business is coming back, you know? And, and to me, I know that's a major thing that, that, that downtowns depend on, but, but to me, like that convention center, it, it isn't the best use of space, you know? And, and just, just, it seems like we're back in the mode of, yeah, like let's get, let's get these conventions back. And that, that was a point of discussion. They're like, there's an idea, like let's make parking free downtown. And it's just like, this is always kind of the biggest head scratcher to me because it's just, you know, Puma, you, you've made maps of downtown parking. Um, I think, you know, I've made maps of downtown parking. The people continuously sort of pull this out. To me, when I look at a map, it looks like downtown is like close to half of parking, you know? So it's like this idea that it's hard to park downtown always like puzzles me because like you can pretty much park for free downtown if you kind of know your way around a little bit and you're willing to walk like 45 seconds, you know, like it, it's, I, I still don't get the, the idea that let's just make downtown a big free parking lot and that'll bring people back. People don't maybe want to come downtown because there's too much parking and there's not enough cool stuff going on, you know? So I don't know. The, Patrick Henry, I know you had some things that you wanted to sort of clear up what? from last week before we move on to other business today. Yeah, and I think it sort of ties into a little bit of what you were talking about just now, which is maybe people, you know, if if the environment down there is, you know, half parking lots, the question is, is the environment worthy of us sort of being in, right? Yeah. And so one of the things I was talking about last week was sort of just the technical part of, you know, as we think about how do we sort of think about our downtown and improvements to the downtown in a way that'll sort of make it a quality place and space that people want to come to and be in. I was sort of saying things like, well, you know, do we want to just wait for the developer or is this something the city should be doing? So I just wanted to mm -hmm. do a little quick clarification, which is when we think about the street, um, you know, that place that really we all sort of, when we go to a uh, a downtown or any neighborhood, it's we spend a lot of time on the street, right? It's the sidewalk and those sort of spaces and and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, when you think of like the infrastructure, say in downtown, you think of things like trees and sidewalks, benches, you know, all those kind of amenity things, um, the lighting, um, you know, the trash receptacles, those little sort of spaces that happen. And and I don't think I was very clear. Um, you know, one of the things I keep thinking is how do we improve this sort of experience of downtown, you know, mm -hmm. the being on the street without waiting for the developer? And what I mean by that is, 
so much of these improvements that happen in, say, downtown Louisville, they happen one property at a time as a property owner or developer or builder comes in and decides to develop a site and improve a site, right? So if they don't do anything to that site, then they don't have to do anything outside of that building in on the sidewalk where the trees are and the lights and the benches and all those kinds of things, right? So what we get is sort of this little patchwork of improvements that only happen when that property owner or developer comes in and and, and develops a property. So, yeah. you know, I keep trying to think of like, is this the responsibility instead of the city, right, and the taxpayers and stuff like that? And, and, and if you can find a way to come in and do those pieces wholesale instead of one parcel at a time, and maybe they just charge the developer when, or the property owner when they come in and they do something on a property, mm. right? But at least you go ahead and you put in that foundation um, of a good street. Then you start to make a place in a downtown where people and businesses might want to be. And, you know, I know you had brought up that idea of, you know, the chicken or the egg, and do you get into that conversation of what comes first? Mm -hmm. But I have to think that when we think about the great um, cities and stuff like that that we all really enjoy visiting, they tend to be these these places that you know one they're human scale but two they've got all those sort of amenities that you think of you know the trees the lighting the benches the sidewalk with different materials not just concrete all those things and so you know that was just a point that i wanted to make clear when i say are we going to wait for the developer you know i think sometimes we go downtown and we look at it we say what is going on here why aren't we improving the tree canopy and stuff well the tree canopy is not getting improved for the most part because it won't happen until someone comes in and does something on a piece of property and then it's the responsibility even though it's you know it's the responsibility of that person that property owner or that developer and i'm just saying how do we think about this instead as a responsibility of the city? Yeah, that happened though, like in the nineties along the section of main street that they call museum row or are calling museum row. That's like three or four, maybe even five blocks where they did redo all of the sidewalks and uh, included bump outs and things like that, or curb extensions, whatever you want to call it. And uh, like some, you know, uh, markings and historical markings and things in the pavement that kind of yeah people know what the buildings were that they're looking at, but that hasn't been done in a long time. I mean, that was like but the nineties, and it, that changed the way. I mean, that got it was successful, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it worked. <laughs> right. So it'd be nice if we did it. Um, if we thought about this sort of greater downtown area, and I realize you can't do all that at once, but can you strategize um, the important corridors? And I guess, you know, if I own a business kicked off on some weird side street, I might say, well, why is my corridor not important? But I do think you have to look at um, what can make the big impact and, uh, and start there. And that did happen on 4th Street now that I think about it since I worked there. When it was happening, they they ripped up Fourth Street and put in new, you know, south of south of Ali. They like did all of that uh, streetscape improvements and putting new tree wells in and expanding the tree wells like really large, like uh, planting beds instead of like three by threes. So, yeah. but yeah, there it needs to happen in more than just like two two corridors, but. There's this other wrinkle as well on a lot of the, you know, away from the the use and the the buildings, just the actual design of the streets themselves. You know, so many, a good chunk of these streets downtown are actually state-owned roads. And that really limits what the city could do to make those, you know, aside from, you know, the businesses, the hope for apartments, the big parking lots that are within the blocks, but in the street part of downtown, <clears throat> I mean, the city, you know, can't just like decide to totally 
re-engineer a street to make it safer or cooler or more, or more amenable um, without the city being on board with that. So, or sorry, the, the state. And I mean, the National Association of City Transportation Officials just had this really interesting, like, gosh, um, talk that I think was scheduled for today, but they made this tweet that was really cool. Um, 50% of uh, traffic deaths in urban areas occur on state-owned roads, 50 plus percent. So like, this is like something that is an, another sort of piece of this is where you've got these state-owned roads in the downtown and, and we have to go through maybe, you know, some kind of uh, slow-moving state-level bureaucracy, um, or maybe not even go through them at all. Maybe they're just opposed to see some of the things that we would need to do to uh, our streets downtown in the core because it's just like too, you know, forward-thinking for where a lot of engineers might be. And, you know, we should talk more about this whole issue of um, civil engineering a little bit later in the show and, and some of the things that are going on with uh, our friends over at Strong Towns. That, that's an interesting story that, that maybe we'll get to here in a little bit. There was one more sort of positive note, I think, on what's up downtown, just to you know follow up on last week. And it, we, we want to see more apartments, more people living downtown. This is something that a lot of cities in our part of the world have already been on board with. Louisville's been pretty slow moving on it. We do have some things happening. I think we're a little bit behind, but it looks like there's another announcement. Um, the On 5th Street, 239 South 5th Street, um, Marty Finley from Louisville Business First was reporting that uh, there's a developer that's looking at that 20-story office building, the uh, Kentucky Home Life building, and looking at sort of um, doing some uh, apartments there in, in retail space. Looks like also a, a hotel component that I'm not, I'm not thrilled with. I guess that helps... Um, you know, people that are in the tourism business, uh, in, in my opinion, I just think we just need to get as many apartments down there at, at all. We did mention the Starks building over on 4th Street and that there's some like, artists' uh, apartments planned there. Patrick, you had some more information on what's happening with that. You, you, you talked to the developer recently, right? Yeah, uh, we're just talking with Jeff Underhill about a number of different developments that they're involved in, but the it was really interesting the discussion that we were having about the Starks building because it's uh, this idea of affordable housing uh, specifically targeted at artists and creatives. And uh, I saw this when I was in uh, Nashville, right off of downtown, there was this hospital medical area, district area that seemed like it had been converted into housing. And I was told that uh, it was, affordable housing for musicians because they couldn't mm. afford to to uh, live in Nashville where it's, where they're playing music and, and all that. But uh, the idea that you have this place that it not only is it becomes an affordable place for artists to get started, but it has the amenities and things that artists would need, like studio space and things like that, all in like one building. I mean, uh, no, Sarks is a cool. robust building. So, you know, I always wondered how you could do something with that building <coughs> that would uh, be able to use the whole thing. Like, it's just like too much, but the idea of like having, you know, shops and galleries and studio spaces and all that stuff in one building seems like a pretty awesome thing. And they had, they had uh, done research in other markets to see like how this was being implemented. And uh, uh, I'm excited to see what happens with that. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That, that's, that's the kind of forward thinking idea like those, like what Underhill is doing here with the artists units, that, that idea of units for musicians with sort of built in services for them. That's the forward thinking stuff that we need a lot more of um, here in the core city of Louisville and, and way more of that way less luxury hotels and the dependence on convention center business. Speaking of business, let's uh, do what we got to do for the station. If you ever checked out our super cool intro music from The Smacks, uh, there's one of the members of The Smacks, Brian Manley, has a fantastic show on WXOX Art FM. It's called Driftless Turmoil, a chaotic tumble of haphazard and irregular tank of sounds, including underground rock, noise, metal, crust, punk, hip-hop, forgotten pop, modern composition, Louisville music, and other records recovered from the catacombs. 
plus occasional interviews and ideas about music, society, events, and other brass tacks from the American Clome and beyond. That's right here on ArtFM, ArtXFM.com, Mondays at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. Because the economy is stalled due to COVID-19 pandemic, many Kentuckians are struggling to make ends meet. There are resources available to help families during this critical time. If you need information about SNAP, WIC, food stamps, or Medicare, please call the Kentucky Cabinet for Health and Family Services at 1-800-372-2973 or visit chfs.ky.gov. You're listening to City State. So this is the show where we talk about cities, and we were just talking about, um, gosh, that, that thing about the downtown, or no, not downtown, but we were talking about downtown, but the thing about the state-owned roads, they run all through our cities, the state controls them, we sort of, you know, have to deal with what, what they hand down if we can't work with them in some cases, and um, Patrick Henry, you had a thing, um, we, we just mentioned that that quote from um, the National Association of uh, Transportation Officials um, saying that, you know, there's this huge percentage of um, traffic deaths happen on these state-owned roads. What, what was your follow-up on that? I, I know you had something there. Yeah, yeah, I was just I was listening to Talking Headways podcast. Oh, great and they podcast. Were, yeah. yeah, and they were kind of talking about – they didn't say it in the same way, but one of the things they were talking about is like these groups, like whether it's NACTO – or, um, you know, like MUT, is it the MUTC, um, the sort of big, the sort of, um, the sort of bigger sort of planning guide of like, here's what signs look like, here's what crossings look like, here's what, you know, yeah, the, the sort MUTCD of UTCD manual. Exactly. That's an engineering uh, thing, manual groups, on uniform traffic control devices from yeah, the Federal Highway we'll Administration. Probably talk a little bit about that a little later but wacky stuff in there always, that messes up communities go ahead yeah, yeah yeah and that those groups are always sort of in isolation they're never sort of uh, you know in the room talking together and when you get to like the state level you've got like you know your your transportation cabinets or whatever um are sort of dealing with things like moving trucks and cars right and and less focused on the sort of um I guess tend to be more focused on the rural and less focused on the city, right? So you end up with these groups that are always um, sort of having these opposing views and never sort of coming together um, because they have different uh, requirements, right? They have different problems they're trying to solve. And I, one of the things I've always said, and I think they kind of alluded to this, but um, – is that you have to have these groups like say the like for us it'd be like KYTC, um, you know, really sort of responsible for all, for all modes of transportation, um, not just charged with like we're going to move these trucks and cars, um, you know, through the state or you know move commerce through the state or whatever, right? So if your big charge is to move commerce, then you're you're not sort of getting down to the sort of more granular level in the cities and stuff like that. And I think we have to find a way for those traffic engineers um, because we see them, they do different things or different focuses, you know, but we see traffic engineers that deal with multi-use path systems. We see yeah. traffic engineers that deal with interstates, ones that deal with streets. Um, so it just seems to me like uh, if we can make these transportation cabinets, and there are some states that do it better than others, um, you know, if we can make them responsible for all modes of transportation and accountable for all modes of transportation, then you might get a different uh, result. Totally, totally. And, and while we're on, on this subject, I know, I think, Patrick Puma, you, you brought this um, this article from um, our friends over at Strongtown to our attention. Um, and if, if, if you're not you know, familiar with, with Strongtown's cool organization, nonprofit organization, uh, go check them out at strongtowns.org. They sort of have like a, a modern uh, advocacy approach to, I mean, what seems to like me and I think a lot of people listening to the show, what is just a kind of a common sense, here's how we should design communities Here's how we should organize our efforts, our city budgets, 
um, here's how we should work with the state and the Fed around making urban places that make sense given climate change, given just fiscal realities of where we are with, 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 with city money. Basically, let's build you know a lot fewer wide roads and let's build more compact, uh, smart development in, in the core city. Anyway, I guess there's been this ongoing controversy over the, the leader of um, Strong Towns and, and some statements that he makes about the profession of engineering, um, especially sort of uh, transportation engineering and, and civil engineering. And, and Patrick, I think you brought this. How would you sort of uh, sum this up or, or delve into this? I mean, it just it's, seems kind of crazy, but Chuck Marone uh, uh-huh. is an engineer. Yes. And uh, has been trying to, like, get some reform going, mm-hmm. is being attacked by other people in the profession and kind of using like their licensure board to kind of try to silence him and say that he's like a crazy guy and like, you know, to, to just try to uh, stop, you know, the message that he's trying to get out there. It's like uh, streets aren't just for vehicles. And, and a lot of the things that, like you said, we would just think are, you know, make a lot of sense. But, you know, there he there's a lot of constituents who make money off of doing it the way that it's always been, you know, more concrete, more of all this other kinds of stuff and like not thinking about it differently. And, you know, you're he's he's uh, he's shaking the boat up. I can't even think of the (laughs) the phrase anymore, but he's disrupting things a little bit. Oh, totally. I just realized I've been calling Chuck Marone Chuck Mahone for like eight years. <laughs> so that's hopefully I've never said that to him personally. Um, not that I, we're not like buds or anything, but I, I think I was like near him at a conference one time. I, I don't think I, hopefully I didn't say Mahone. Yeah, this is, it's crazy though. He, he's, he's from the inside, you know, he's, he's been there as a, as a transportation engineer and he, he knows where all of the stuff is, is, is not right. You know, something, so just number one, like to do anything for real on a property or like, or especially on a city street, you, you got to have that engineering study. Like you can't just do common sense things. Like you, you got to have the degree, you got to have the, you got to have the background. And then there's got to be the, the quotation marks engineering study to make it real, or it's just not going to be a real thing. And a lot of the guidelines, like Henry, you brought up the MUTCD, uh, manual about how signage is used and where stop signs and traffic signals and walk signs go in. There's just some really nutty, arbitrary stuff in there. And a lot of these folks that are engineers like go back to these kinds of manuals, which are based on these like studies that may not even be applicable to what is really being talked about in the current modern sense. And it's just, it's wacky. Like, like a certain number of people have to be like witnessed at an intersection before we can like put in proper traffic calming things. And the number is 93. And it's like, what? Like some of the stuff is, it's just take a look at the MUTCD. If you're interested to sort of see some of the, 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 the rules that you need um, to, to just do what we, what should be common sense things in my opinion. Like, Hey, here's a very busy intersection. Children are nearby. A stop sign might help you know, slow some traffic down a little bit. Well, you'll have professional engineers that'll tell you, well, no, actually there's a study that says stop signs make people drive faster. And it's just like, come on. Like we're talking about having people slow down at a busy intersection in a neighborhood. You know, like, I don't know what study you're pulling out from, you know, 30 years ago, the journal of whack engineering, but like, <laughs> like, don't like come at me. Like, I, I don't know what research is or like, I, I, I don't, you know, understand what's going on with how roads work because I don't have this, you know, arbitrary rulemaking degree um, in transportation I, engineering. Yeah, go ahead. And I, and I think what happens a lot of times in the profession is, People go to the place that they they just it's like they keep going to the same place for their yeah. information, right? Yeah. And so if you're used to getting, if you've read a study somewhere, or if you've 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 sort of seen a guideline somewhere, you might keep going to that. And um, you know, often in the same way that we're all sort of affected by 
you know, things like our political views, you know, right? It can sort of make you lean in one direction or another, right? But that same thing can happen even in these professions where you have these sort of guidelines, right? And so I think if you want to find more progressive guidelines, you can find them. It might take a little more work. I think mm-hmm. we don't have as many good examples of that in the United States. But again, there are some states doing it better than others. Um, and, you know, but then you're also, uh, you know, you're also working in a sort of a culture or a community that has a sort of a belief system of, okay, this is how we do it. Here's the guidelines that tell us that, you know, whether it's the, the sort of, what what did you say the whack <laughs> engineering, of whack engineering. Yeah. Journal of whack. you know i mean yeah it's tough and yeah. and i you know i don't mean to sort of dismissing but it's like you gotta want to find those sort of yeah you know it's like you're backing into the answer that you already want you know and and, and that's yeah. a lot of people use so-called research for that yeah the thing about chuck marone is that he has as having that background and, and status and being taken seriously as somebody that was a transportation engineer, he's changed a lot of engineers' minds. And there are some really cool civil engineers, transportation engineers out there. And, and he's like a part of that new voice for making the profession change and update and modernize. And I guess what's happened to him is just so crazy that some of the people that want to keep the cult of, of whack engineering – like are trying to like use his criticism, which honestly is very constructive criticism. They're trying to use his criticism to like get him delicensed and I guess just made to look bad as, as, as not an engineer anymore, uh, humiliated. I don't know what they're trying to do, but it's, it's, it's not cool. It's not right. And that was an interesting, an interesting to see that this, um, that, that strong towns has filed this lawsuit, um, against, the Minnesota Board of Engineering Licensure, where I guess he holds his his engineering licensing. It's just you know things are getting things are getting interesting out there. Hopefully you know they 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 win this case and um, he gets to keep his status as an engineer and gets to keep sort of helping current engineers that aren't hip to how we need to improve our communities. He gets to help the folks that aren't there yet sort of see the light. That's 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 the hope. I mean, we're going to get there. We should have already been there. But um, he's one of the folks out there that's trying to, to move this profession. I mean, we can't do anything in the city without engineering. This is hugely important. And we need more folks um, here. I'd love to see more folks, you know, who are our cool engineers in Louisville or in Kentucky. I know we got them. Um, I, I know I could pull some names out here. Don't want to put anybody on the spot. But we need to lift those folks up and give those folks support uh, because a lot of the stuff they deal, deal with day to day is just entrenched in some really old, old, wrong thinking. But um, a little more business before we carry on. Please keep the radio dial here at 97.1. Keep the browser at artixfm.com because there's going to be some good stuff coming up here at 5 p.m. Eastern. We got Evan Wilson bringing the vibe, making an effort to spread consciousness through music. Every week for an hour, Evan dives into an expansive selection of funk, soul, reggae, and world music celebrating culture, life, and paying homage to amazing artists from the past and present. It's always a diverse collection of tunes to groove to and put a smile on your face. Wednesdays at 5, right after City State. I'm going to go out to the beach. I'm going to have a, a, an adult beverage, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to have the vibe on the little waterproof beach speaker just right there, annoying the people you know, right down the beach from me. Just, just going to, I'm going to turn up. <laughs> Evans, super positive reggae and world music jams. Maybe they'll like it. You know, maybe maybe I won't be annoying people, but I'm going to be that guy today. I'm going to have the speaker today. <laughs> One of the best ways to prevent the spread of an airborne disease like COVID-19 is by opening a window. Scientists now understand that enclosed environments and recirculated air can carry contaminated particles further than six feet. The CDC advises opening windows and doors whenever it is safe to do so. Even just cracking a window or door helps increase air circulation and reduces the potential concentration of virus particles in the air. If it gets too hot or cold, simply adjust the thermostat accordingly. And now when I say cracked windows, I'm assuming it means just open and not actually physically cracking windows. Don't, don't, crack, don't crack through your window. Yeah, I don't How do you phrase that? Let, just, 
created a one inch aperture by lifting your windows slightly. Cracked, I guess, just <laughs> encapsulates all that. Like, um, Patrick, you had, you had some. What's that? People take things too literally these days. You have to spell it out for them, I guess. I know. I know. What, what's, what's up with um, – there was some, some stuff happening with some trees around the interstates. Some oh, of the trees, we trees just, Louisville. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, you know adding trees downtown and all that kind of stuff. And I, it just reminded me that uh, earlier this week I met with uh, Cindy Sullivan. who has been on a show before. For trees, the, Louisville. Yeah. At a trees, Louisville. And we were walking around downtown checking out some of the new plantings that they did along the interstate 65 through downtown and it's just uh some really great work that they're doing to increase our urban tree canopy and try to reduce the uh urban heat island effects that we have to deal with and we'll be dealing with and it was just this whole idea of you know how do we cool down downtown and and uh and it it's a great start i mean when we were, was reminded when we had back in 2014 done a uh tree uh, assessment downtown kind of mapping the trees mm -hmm. it was right around the time that the interstate work was going on and they wiped out a whole bunch of trees along the interstate right after that was crazy it yeah. them. so it's good to see them going back in yeah that's like um i've seen some of the news about um the trees little folks being like yeah like planting these trees back and it was like man there used to be i don't, I don't know like if those were like the, the best trees or whatever but there was uh, they, maybe they were weed trees i don't know there was like loads of trees against um the interstate there like like a, a huge patch i mean hundreds and hundreds of trees and that yeah those just got completely completely wiped out uh, speaking of i-65 there's still this um i-65 corridor study i think there's uh, more information about this at uh, KIPTA, our regional transportation planning, our metropolitan transportation planning um, outfit. Uh, you can probably check that out at KIPTA um, at their website, KIPDA. I guess just sort of talking about, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the link right now and, and, and just miserably failing. The, uh, but this is like, you know, what do you want to see out of the, the whole I-65 corridor that sort of viciously bisected our city um, in the days of urban renewal and, and still sort of isn't, uh, a, you know, a lot of cities have uh, an interstate just right through, uh, right through the downtown part, right through the core city part, you know, like we do. I-65 is ours, one of ours. And, um, yeah, they, they've got, they're looking for feedback about, I don't know if it's KYTC, KIPTA. When I find it, I'll put the link up at underscore city state on Twitter and go let people know what you want to see. I've been hitting them up when I actually can find the link. And telling them to close the interstate ramps in Old Louisville because they are a real sort of just just terrible, just just not a good thing to have an interstate off ramp right next to where children are playing and people were walking their dogs and trying to live their lives in their neighborhood. I'm not, not, not a fan like of an engineering what's, problem. What's that? It seems like an engineering problem where you oh my god that's a car just, that's doing 65, 70 miles an hour yes. off of very short ramp into a neighborhood where people are like walking around and things like that. Yeah. It seems like but, a problem. But Patrick, the journal of whack engineering says that <laughs> if you don't have that off ramp right there, then it's going to cause some sort of catastrophic problem with people not being able to drive 70 miles per hour uh, in a neighborhood. I, I don't know. That's why engineering, that's exactly, that's a fantastic connection you just made um, from the past segment. To this um to this bit on the i-65 corridor study anyway we'll get that that link up on um underscore city state on, on on the twitter um man we're just busting through this hour we had uh the the big news around town around louisville this week i think summed up quite nicely by somebody i would love to get on the show who hasn't been on yet the fantastic um urban journalist over at courier jerk journal lucas allback has a great um, update about what's going on with the, the Louisville uh, Park Loop Road closures. We have two big, or we have several Olmstead parks around the city. Two of the big ones, Cherokee and Iroquois Park, little background here, had roads closed for vehicles kind of through the COVID situation, you know, just to let people sort of get out, stretch their legs, not have to constantly be looking over their shoulder 
for cars speeding through. Roads have been closed for a long time. Some of them um, are opening back up. And, and Lucas Allback covered this in CJ. Uh, this dropped in Courier Journal uh, yesterday. And it's sort of just an update on, on what happened, sort of some of the politics behind it. Uh, I don't know. Do, I, do one of you guys want to explain which roads opened up and which ones didn't um, in, in these two parks? No. <laughs> Did you say no? <laughs> no, I said oh. <laughs> um, you may, you may do this. I, let me. I can. I can talk more about Cherokee Park. Yeah, I'm get in little, Cherokee. Get in on Cherokee. Okay, so you know Cherokee Park, the loop in Cherokee Park, which basically sort of wraps around uh, Barringer Hill, uh, Bonnie Castle Shelter, which we all think of as like the Hogan's Fountain area. Yeah. Sort of loops down to the sort of walk along Beargrass Creek and where the soccer fields are, and then sort of goes back up. To, to Behringer Hill, or some people call it Dog Hill. That's what I used to think of it as. Um, that whole thing was closed. It was fantastic, um, you know, for the last year, basically, uh, like you said, Pat Smith. And they have opened some portions of it. So if you are driving down Eastern Parkway and you enter the park there, they've opened that section. So it's a one-way loop. They've mm-hmm. opened that section that allows you to get up to Hogan's Fountain. And then as you kind of pass Hogan's Fountain, sort of loop down and around, there's kind of a little sort of swerve off. Um, and then there's also a little steep section that goes up what I think is called Barrett Hill Road, maybe. Uh, so they've opened that little section. And then they've also opened, if you ever like go over to the dog park that's uh, right off Lexington Road, which is above the I-64 um, tunnels. What are those call- tunnels called? Are they called Cochrane. the Cochrane Tunnel? Huh? I say Co- Cochrane, but Cochrane, I don't know. <laughs> I always think of it, yeah, Cochrane Tunnel. Um, so it goes, you know, sort of down, basically loops down to the soccer field, and then you can just sort of exit back out. Uh to Lexington Road, you know, I think as a compromise, okay, um, it would have been, I'll just share my opinion, it would have been nice to um, have had that whole loop open. I think there's a lot of uh, discussion, and maybe we'll get into a little bit about, you know, accessibility and equity and things like that, and I think the question I keep asking myself is, um, does accessibility mean that you have to be able to drive a car over every square inch of the city mm-hmm. and over every square inch of every metro park? Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it seems like the Cherokee Park plan is pretty good, right? I mean, we got to yeah. keep a, a, a big chunk of the loot closed. And then, but there's car access for, you know, the, the Hogan's Fountain structure that people hang out at. And some of the basketball and, and sporting facilities. So it's like that's that seems like a pretty good compromise. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. The the Iroquois Park win. Well, I'm, I'm I'm as well a, a little bit you know less familiar with that. But I guess you know Rundle Road through Iroquois Park is 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 going to reopen, and that was um, effective immediately as there were some sort of a, adjacent and nearby Metro Council members that were just kind of like. It's really unhappy with the fact that this road was still closed. Um, I, I guess now that supposedly COVID is in quotation marks over, uh, which you know it's 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 kind of not. I mean that's that's uh, still left to be determined. But I mean the, I mean Rundle Road. I mean people are commuting through that. It's it's people. I mean I think enjoyed it being closed. I, I don't know what the answer is there because I guess you you need to have Rundle Road open for people to be able to access. Um, some of the amenities that are in Iroquois Park, like that's a park that I, I, I go to less, although, you know, probably a couple times a year I get over there. I guess you need Rundle. I, I, they're saying the southernmost portion of Rundle Road will remain closed, um, but but the parts that connect to the golf course and to some of the other sort of things people need to get to are, are going to be all um, opened up. So the thing that was really kind of interesting here was the – City council folks just really coming hard against the idea that parks, in conjunction at some level with Olmstead Parks Conservancy, 
can make these kinds of decisions within their bounds. And my understanding of the law, I'm not an attorney. Hopefully somebody hit us up at underscore city state if I'm getting this totally wrong. Parks and Olmstead parks and the city can do what they want within the park boundaries. Like this isn't, it's, it's their call. You know, if they want to close roads, they can close roads. But apparently we got some council people that are still going to move forward even though these roads got reopened after all of, of their just kind of like losing their minds that there's like they're, some of the roads were still closed. I guess they're still going to try to move forward with legislation at some point around making it illegal to close park roads. I got this tweet um, from uh, Councilman um, Anthony Piagentini. Let, let me just let me, let me just quote him here. Uh, quoting Piagentini, um, this these are not my words. The mayor's claim the mayor's weird. Okay. The mayor claims that he collaborated with Metro council on this is a joke. The bipartisan group has filed ordinances requiring him to reopen the parks. And then miraculously he opens them. I will continue moving forward with my ordinance to ensure he never does this again. So I don't, you know, he's, he's like, we, we complained the park roads got reopened, but I'm still moving forward with some kind of legislation so I guess we're going to see that at some point um, come up. I don't. This is probably needs to go through some kind of committee first before we get there. But that just seems interesting that now we have these far suburban council people that that you know are coming in that want to like tell us you know how and, and what and where we we close roads and parks. Pretty interesting. Do people forget that. I mean, the reason that they were closed in the first place. At least my understanding of that is that people needed more space to safely be able to like walk around and be outside of their home because yeah. you couldn't be around people. And it's just it, to say you should never, you make sure he never does it again. I mean, what? Like, yeah. what if this happens again? Like, there was, there was a, a big reason for it to get shut down. And it turns out it became a safe place that people really enjoyed and you know to discount like what actually happened and how it all came about seems insane to me and it, it's the rhetoric that makes me hate even looking at social media anymore i can't yeah. stand yeah. going on facebook and like just seeing like somebody says you know i wish that the park was gonna like keep all the roads closed and then there's like 108 comments with people just like bashing people for Reasons that, I mean, they're not always legitimate. I don't think people are being very straight with themselves or people online about, like, why they're trying to, you know, they have to take a position on these things. It's just, mm -hmm. it makes me not like people. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, an interesting argument because people, for different reasons, they want to they want to keep bringing it back to access for disabled citizens. And I don't know, there's a really good piece on this. This was in um, Planet is in early this year. Uh, great writer, Michael Lewin, he's got this piece. I can post this again on, on our underscore city state Twitter account. It's called Cars Transit and Disabled, subtitled, Contrary to Popular Myth, the Disabled Drive Less Than Other Americans. And he just has this great summation. He goes through the stats about how much disabled folks actually drive and in comes to some, you know, pretty interesting conclusions. Just his summation here. The disabled are less likely to own cars than other Americans, are more likely to use buses and trains, and about equally as likely to walk. So if we want more equity for the disabled, we should make walking and public transit easier. You know, because I think I hear from a lot of people that aren't disabled about how we need access to the parks for the disabled. So, like, that's struck me from some sectors is, is kind of a disingenuous argument because I think what we have are people that want to use the park to commute through. And uh, to, uh, could be getting this well, wrong. It seems like people are going to be able to commute through Iroquois, but the changes, um, which are only going to be, this is a, tr a three month run trial run on these new road openings. Um, I think the commuters will be stopped from going through Cherokee. If I'm not wrong, was, was somebody yeah. going to jump in? I was just going to say the other thing too, is that, if you want access, this is great access for 
I mean, the both of these parks, for the most part, they don't have big sort of walking path systems, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they have road systems and they have off-road trails for the for the with a few exceptions throughout the park. Um, and so, if you want to create a scenario where people can be on paved surfaces. It's it's this particular these particular areas. You can go to the Parklands of Floyd's Fork, or you can go to the Waterfront Park mm-hmm. and get on sort of bigger, wide path systems. You don't have that in these Olmstead parks. Yeah. They just they weren't a part of that. Either they weren't a part of the original design, or they were never executed. And so, <clears throat> you know, your system, your big walking system, ends up being that those loops. Yeah. And it's, it's just really cool that, you know, I mean, a lot of the scenic loot now, even though this, I mean, just to be clear, this is a, a three month trial of these road reopenings. But still, as we've said, much of the scenic loop is going to be car free and people can, you know, walk and, and do whatever they do on the loop without having to look over their shoulder constantly. And it looks like, um, you know, not being able to use that part of the loop as a cut through. That's I mean, that, that's pretty good, you know, and people can still get to the kinds of things that, you know, whatever park amenities they need to in large part. So I think maybe, maybe, maybe a good compromise situation at Cherokee. Maybe we've just kind of, I think maybe some improvements to Iroquois, uh, Iroquois park have come out of this, but maybe it's sort of Iroquois is kind of going back to more more cars than it's had for the last year. But I mean, we'll see. Maybe they'll learn something out of the next uh, three months, and, and and maybe some some better things could happen in Iroquois. One of the like most uh, the things that's being discounted that I heard start to bubble up is that you know women feel much safer there now because you don't have these creeps rolling around in their oh, car while they're jogging on the trail and like slowly rolling by and like staring at them and stuff. And it's not something I thought about before, but yeah. like people. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I can't believe you mentioned that because I just saw this interesting um, piece. I'm looking for it right now. And it was it, it's about like w- like women's experiences at night and like what just what it's like, it, what, what they would do in the city if like things like weren't like they were, if they were just free to go out at night. Man, we should maybe take a look at that next week. We're over the hour. Evans mad at us. He can't get on. Thank you for listening to City State. Check us out at underscore City State for more info. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye, y'all. Peace out.